Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. Brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK and BikeRadar.com. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Bike Radar podcast. My name is Simon Bromley, and I'm a technical writer for Bike Radar. Today, I'm very privileged to be joined via the magic of the internet by Diego Costa, lead mechanic at the Tour de France for the Ineos Grenadiers team. Thank you for joining us, Diego. How are you today? Hi, Simon. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm really, really good. Thanks. Here, ready for racing, and let's go. Excellent. Great. So, yeah, how have preparations for the Tour been going? I know that Ineos Grenadiers have recently rebranded as a team, so you must have been building lots of bikes in the past week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we did, uh, and uh, everything is done. Like I said, it's ready, and was hard work to do, but everything was planned uh, uh, on better way as possible, so everything was quite, re- quite good, and uh, like I said, we are ready. Great. And I think since this is a kind of Tour de France podcast special, I think perhaps what our listeners might be interested to know is what is a typical daily routine for for you and your team of mechanics at the Tour de France? The routine of every day is uh, wake up in the morning, uh, usually a couple of hours before uh, the time uh, um, the time we got for leave uh, with, with the bus, with the rider. So example, if we leave like 10 o'clock, we do breakfast around 7.30, 7, 7.30, couple of hours of work to, to pump all the bike, put the, the spare bike in the first, second car, the race bike in another vehicle, and then we go all together to the race. Yeah. And then uh, when we are at the race, uh, we put all the bike outside of the bus. Uh, normally, we, we got... Uh, a nice system, like in order of number, 
we did the last uh, pre-check and then uh, we go into to the race. And what's involved? What's involved in the pre-check? What do you do before before the race every day, every single day? What are the kind of most important things that you need to do? The the important um, before the start is just check if the battery is still green, so full battery, and uh, the power meter works, and uh, the tire pressure uh, is a thing we always we do at the start for the for the race bike. And I suppose the evening before, you'll have, do you wash the bikes fully every day and relube the drivetrains and everything like that? Yeah. We wash every day after the stage and then we do a proper check. Proper check is uh, put oil in all the pulley, the chain, yeah. uh, close to the brakes, where is all the, all the pin or the levers. And then uh, we check the tires, if the wheels are straight. And then we check, uh, we check the... Um, the shifter, if if it's, it's okay, if there is any sh- shoes told from the rider, that is uh, the real check. And this one, like you said, is post post race. Obviously, you, you know, images of gluing tubular tires by mechanics is a very very famous. It's obviously a very famous thing, and and I think one one question that someone asked me to ask you is, you, you know, are you still gluing multiple tubulars a day or is that this does this take place before the race starts do you generally yeah this is generally before the start uh when we come to the race all the tires generally are brand new and now uh, we take um these two three days before the race to get to the rider to use so they can clean a little bit the rubber of the tires so we know when we go into the race the tires is really ready to race and then uh, we change only if there is a big cut or, or they have a flat tires during the race. So normally I would say to you, we don't change everyday tires now. In the last few years, they get in really better tires. So can be, I don't know, three, four tires in a week. But we still glue, glue it, yes. Are there, I've, you know, we've seen a, a few teams moving to different tire systems for things like time trials we're seeing kind of some some teams using clinchers maybe tubeless tires is that uh, an option for Ineos or are you kind of still on tubulars for everything no we're still in tubulars only for uh, for the road bike for the TT bike we are always uh, using for couple of couple of guys uh, uh, tubeless yeah and um, is that just down to rider preference or is that a kind of a, a team strategy Team strategy and also preference, but we still uh, explore that that way of uh, of future uh, way in terms of tires. Yeah, and I think obviously Ineos Grenadiers are, are, are very much known for their kind of you know looking into all the small details, um, and so that that will obviously be one of them, I'm sure. And I suppose the other perhaps kind of big revolution that Ineos Grenadiers hasn't perhaps quite got on board yet is uh, to do with hydraulic disc brakes. Now, they're obviously quite prevalent in the professional peloton now, but there are still a few teams who haven't switched over. And I wonder if you could tell us any, any give us any insight into perhaps why Ineos Grenadiers hasn't switched over yet. Sure, a good point. Um, I would say in terms of uh, practical way on the race the normal range brakes still, still uh, again the best one so it's more fast to change a wheel 
especially if the rider they have to swap a wheel on uh, between each other during the race, they don't need any tools. So I think so that can be already one point where let us to stay on the same uh, same model of bike without hydraulics. And I think so the second one would be the weight because they're these brake bikes are still a little bit heavy compared to the normal one. Mm. And is, do you think that will be something that the team will sort of continue to review on a kind of yearly basis? And obviously, you know, I'm sure, you know, obviously you're, you're a professional team and, I'm, you know, obviously there will always be a certain amount of sponsorship commitments. But I know that Ineos is perhaps less beholden to those than, than you know, many other teams for various reasons. But um, yeah, I suppose it's something you must be looking at going forward. Yeah, I think so. Sometimes in different areas, it's better to see what's happened with the other teams also. Like it's, it's, like you said, maybe it's also a bit of strategy to see, okay, to explore some way when really we don't know what's going to happen can be also sometimes the best way to do. So wait a couple of years to see, like I said, what they're going to do, what is the best way to do. And um, I think so if Shimano is going to come out with a new group set for the future and we see there is a good, good way to go on the disc, maybe it can be the next step, I would say. Okay, well, that, yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, certainly, you know, we don't know what Shimano are coming out with yet, but we're kind of, it, you know, given the, the direction of the market, we're certainly sort of expecting maybe yeah. 12 speed and, as you say, more integration for discs. So I suppose, yeah, perhaps then that might be the moment for other teams to jump over. Yeah. For what is see from Austin when we restart racing after, after the COVID, was a couple of teams and with the climbing bike, they come back to the normal brakes. So just they are using the disc brake only for a flat stage with aero bikes, but with the mountain, mountain stage, they are using normal brakes as well. And, so and I think so a component very important was the weight hmm. in this choice. And I suppose that, that kind of 6.8 kilogram weight limit has been around for a long time now. And I know there was a period a few years ago when, you know, every brand was sort of, you know, saying that they could build a bike, you know, miles underneath that weight limit. And they were, you know, they're famously having to add kind of lead weights into the bottom bracket. I, I wonder as a mechanic, how, how do you feel about, you know, should the UCI review that weight limit, perhaps lower it, or is it there for a, you know, a kind of good reason because it helps make bikes, you know, stronger if they can use more carbon? Uh, it's a good question, honestly, because I'm pretty sure, uh, you know, the bike at the end is built by component and the weight of the bike come out with uh, with all the components put all together. And also on the other side, I'm pretty sure every component is really tested. So nothing can go in the, mar- in the market without any testing. So in one side, in one side, I can say for me, can be also, we can race it without any limit. But in the other side, I think it's also correct to have one limit. So in this way, you can have most of the rider with the same bike, same limit. So, yeah, I suppose that's an interesting point. It, it kind of it, it 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 kind of adds a level. It, it makes it slightly more of a level playing field, doesn't it? Yeah. Okay. Well, just heading back to wheels quickly because. 
Ineos kind of caused a little bit of a stir last year at the Tour de France when the team uh, turned up with lightweight Milenstein Obermeyer wheels. Um, now, obviously, you, I think you have a sponsorship agreement with Shimano, but I know that Ineos still uses things outside of those sponsorship agreements. But I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about the thought process behind the use of the kind of more traditional lightweight wheels rather than the kind of perhaps more modern wheels from say a company like Shimano I, I don't follow honestly that process how how they did to be honest <laughs> that's okay I'm sorry no 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 that's okay it's well not... we'll I guess that one will remain a secret but I, I suppose Ineos granted we've seen Ineos using them in the run-up to the Tour de France are they likely to st- are you, will you guys still be using them at this year's Tour de France uh yes yes for us, is our climbing wheel. Yes. So, um, I think so. The problem of Shimano with the group set, the current, the current group set they have now, they have only two, two different model of wheel, and the one is the C40, one is the C60, and in between um, the two set, there is not a really big difference for climbing. Okay, so so this sort of so you prefer a slightly a, an even lighter wheel then for climbing. Exactly. Okay. Um, you got tires for at the end. <laughs> and so I suppose another question I, I I really wanted to ask you is that is there a kind of you know are there certain riders on the team who are very very particular about their setup and conversely are there some riders who perhaps aren't so bothered. Yes, there is, but uh, we said um, our group of mechanics is really is really good, and um, we are in place where uh, there is not any rider complaining about setup or, or honestly. But um, yeah, there is some rider that are more more um, they got the attitude to feel more if there is small difference. I would say. Like for me, for example, is a rider is really uh, focusing the details. He can feel the millimeter, and there is a guys they don't feel honestly. I suppose that's quite interesting. I, I, you know, for someone who has obviously been at the top of the sport for so long, I suppose that maybe attention to detail he probably carries across everything he does. Yeah, yeah. And also, it's not easy now because the cycling has changed a lot in the last, uh, I would say, uh, 10, 15 years. When I started in 2002 in professional team, each rider has only three bikes, one bike at home and two at the race. Now, a rider can have uh, from 10, 12 bikes during one season. So it's not easy also for us to keep everything in track and control, but we try to do our best. So how many, so if you've been, you've been around since 2002, then I suppose that's, that's, you know, eight years in the sport. How many Tour de France's have you done? I started in 2002. My first Tour de France was in 2005. Yeah, I did all the Tour de France from 2005. And which team would you have been with in 2005? 2005, Domina Vacanza. Oh. <laughs> and then Milram, and then uh, one year Sinkatush in 2009, and then from 2010 with Sky. So the last 10 years in the same team. 
And have you have you done the Tour de France every year since then? Uh, 13, 14, 15, 16, no. I don't did. I did 2012 with Bradley and the Olympics as well with uh, British Cycling. No, okay, no. That's really interesting. And, and so what was that like? Because I imagine the pressure in 2012 must have been, you know, very high. Obviously, Bradley had had a disappointing, should we say, 2010. And then he'd been very, very good in 2011 and had been very unlucky to crash out early yeah. on in the race. He broken the collarbone. Yeah. yeah. So 2012. Uh, yeah. Yeah, 21, 2011, sorry, like you said, was a high year when he broke the collarbone. And honestly, we was feeling uh, in the higher was a good year for one, the tour. And then he had, uh, like you said, this crash. We back in the 12. Uh, and uh, in there was the same feeling. It came before the tour with almost all the, the race he did uh, with uh, first place. So was really nice and we enjoyed and was hard, big pressure, but we managed and uh, we're still here. And what were the Olympics like? It, you know, how does the Olymp how does being a mechanic at the Olympics compare to being a mechanic at the tour? Uh was hard because we we went straight from Tour de France, so it was a really longer longer period of time on the road, but uh was really nice. He he was really focused uh, for the time trial. And uh, it was an amazing day, honestly. And I suppose you would have worked with slightly different bikes for the Olympics because obviously Bradley and Chris both rode on the UK Sport um, UK Sport frames. And uh, w were there any sort of, you know, those those frames are quite legendary within sort of British cycling because they they they've been used for so long. Were there, was there any how how were those frames to work on compared to the kind of pin Pinarellos that you would have normally been using? Yeah, if you remember, the design was quite different. So it was like, look strange when you see the frame. But at the end, uh, for what I know from the rider, it was a really fast, fast bike. And it uh, was a really nice experience, honestly. Solid bike, fast bike. And uh, they got also a result. So. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, things have gone down for Britain slightly since then, haven't they? But um, <laughs> it was, that, was, that, was, that was a better time. Yeah. Um, okay, well, let's sort of move on to a more kind of, uh, this is get, let's get slightly more techier here. And this, this is a personal a love of mine, I suppose. I, I, I get very into like, chain lubricants and drive chain cleanliness and efficiency and all of this sort of thing so i've noticed previously team sky and ineos have used sort of uh treat especially treated drivetrains for the time trials um but what do you what do you guys use day to day are you still on a kind of drip style lubricant like an oil-based lubricant or do you use a wax-based lubricant or are you immersive waxing something like that or is that too complicated no, um, it's not complicated. Uh, we got Makov, is really one of the best brands in the cycling, and they provide to us a really, a really best product we can have. And, uh, and now we're, we are using um, a oil between dry and wet, so it can make for us more simple to work. And is that just your kind of every everyday thing? And then do you perhaps do something special for the time trials, or is it is that? 
for the time trial, we never use again any special chain, but I think so we're going to use something made from them for okay. the tour. Yeah, but I, for the normal stage, we use always only oil. So yeah, because yeah. I know Makoff um, made Bradley Wiggins a special chain for his hour record in 2015, I believe. So would yeah. it be, be something similar to that, I guess? But I'll, I'll, Yeah, you know, something similar. Yeah, yeah if yeah. you can't tell us. <laughs> yeah. um, and so whilst we're kind of going on to the time trial, uh, obviously this year's time trial is quite a, an interesting one. Um, it For those who haven't seen the route profile yet, it has a kind of flattish... I say ish because you know by Tour de France standards it's, there there is still a hill but and then it finishes up the Planche de Belfi which is a kind of eight kilometer six, seven or eight kilometer climb at kind of eight to ten percent I think yeah um, can you give us any insight into what kind of bikes the the team will be using on that stage or is that kind of top secret at this point uh, we don't decide yet honestly and. Um what I can tell you, and I think so, this is is like an answer of the re- the the request. Um, you you asked me before. We got a really light TT bike, yes, and still with normal brakes, and this for us is a a good good way to for us is to have an, a TT bike with normal brakes can be. You can sort of hit. You, is, do you, are you trying to say it can kind of hit? Can, you can hit the eight to six point eight kilograms. Uh, yeah, not six point, Yeah, yeah, exactly. Not six point eight, but maybe we can be a lot lighter compared to the other team. So this one can be for us maybe a decision just to do all the TT with the same bike without any bike change. Yeah, because obviously the risk. You know, we've, we've, we've had some speculation that maybe some riders will change change bikes as we saw in the kind of Bergen worlds. You yeah. know, a couple of riders change bikes at the foot of the, the climb that, that finished on that time trial. Um, but obviously changing a bike comes with a risk of it kind of not going so well. Um, and you obviously have to slow down and get started again. So have, is that something you think the guys have practiced or are they just planning on sticking to one bike? I don't know, honestly. I, I think so with our bike can be just staying the same bike. Um, like we discussed before about the weight of the bike. Um, the normal road bike, most of the team, we are all, always in the same same limit, like you said, 6.8. With the TT bike, uh, there is. I know there is some TT bike with these brakes that are around 8 kilo. Mm. So I think so... More heavy you are, more you get the chance to decide to do the bike swap for that day. Sure, because obviously, yeah, because the, the, as you say, you know, if, if you start creeping up towards eight kilos, and all of a sudden, for a, for a Tour de France rider who spent the last six months of their life trying to lose every last gram, that that obviously is is quite is a, is a exactly. significant portion of weight, isn't it? And also, like you said, is eight kilometer off TT, so it's around 20, 20, 20 minutes. 21 minutes yes uh, yeah or maybe less so yeah the weight i think is a uh, the weight of for that stage is really important so more light you you can be of course your efforts is going to be more fast okay and so saying everything everything goes well and you get the the lovely opportunity to build up a specially painted yellow, yellow pinarello i obviously don't want to jinx it for you but 
how you know how how far in advance do you start deciding? Oh, you know, we should call up Pinarello and, and ask them the, to specially paint a frame. This is a nice question. Um, <laughs> Fausto Fausto Pinarello is a lot a lot scaramantic, really really a lot. So he never prepare in advance yellow frame. Most so, of the time, most of the time is delivery towards the frame uh, Sunday morning. So last year. This is nice to, to tell you a nice story. Um, last year, he, we meet uh, for build a bike, Faustos, uh, in motorway, around 100 k's before Paris, in motorway, in the front of McDonald's. So that's, that's Fausto Pinarello himself, so isn't the, the owner of the company, yeah. isn't it? Uh, yeah. Correct. So Fausto, he, he asked uh, one guy from the paint room, to stay Saturday afternoon to paint the frame and the morning he fly early with the fly from Venice to Paris. <laughs> so we never, we never, for Scaramantic, we never do frame like two weeks before. We never leave from service course with the, with the yellow frame already in the cabin. Yeah. Okay. Well, that yeah. That I don't think we're going to get a better anecdote than that. That that's pretty incredible that the owner of Pinareno yeah. will will fly out to meet you at a motorway service station. I think so. Um, yeah, Faust is really is really is really a good person. Is important for us. Is um is really part, part. Faust is a part of our team from long time. So. Is not only work, there's still also a good friend between uh, everyone in the team. So he's always welcome, Fausto. Wow, what a lovely anecdote to end on. Well, I think that's probably all we've got time for today. So it just leaves me to thank Diego Costa very much for his time. Thank you, Diego. Thank you, Simon. And if you haven't subscribed, please do wherever you get your podcasts. And stay tuned for more Tour de France content like this in the coming weeks. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com. Bike Radar.